Hi, I'm Brittany Curran, and I play Fen on Sci-Fi's The Magicians. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew. The Coffee Clatch Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode 10, Purgatory, and episode 11, Be the Hymen. Purgatory was written by Alex Ritter and Shannon Coley. IMDb is giving it an 8.7. And Be the Hymen was written by Mike Moore and David Reed, directed by David Reed. IMDb is giving that a 9.1. The critics say Purgatory felt like a series of stories of people trapped in limbo, whether it was Penny and Plum in their room out of time, Josh in the underworld, or Julia and Elliot in prison. As a clearer picture starts to form of Fillory's plight and how the Dark King's obsession ties into it, The Magicians takes on a sense of urgency appropriate for both the end of the season and the end of the series. Well, caught in limbo is purgatory, essentially. Mm. Yeah. And also, I would add to that and say that Hades is in his self-created purgatory. Oh, absolutely. To the extent, though, Penny and Plum in that room, nothing is happening. They have no sense of time. They don't have to eat or sleep. It's driving them crazy. I really enjoyed their pairing and their storyline yet again. I think the way they're handling time traveling with that is very interesting. Oh, very interesting and very surprising. I did not see time travel coming into play, especially with her storyline. I like it. Because what if you could just jump not only place to place, but also time to time. And then Josh being stuck in the underworld, what a terrifying prospect that you legitimately wind up there by mistake. But who's going to believe that? Now that you're here, you're dead. You have no choice. That's true. It's like the ultimate logistical mess up. It's a nightmare. The more and more we learn about the front desk, quote unquote, of the underworld, it's like a DMV. (laughs) It's stamping pages. Next. But on top of that, Hades is taking a vacation, so there's no oversight. And we will get to it, but the most phenomenal part for me is that we finally get to check back in with Penny Forty. Nowhere near enough time. I guess it never really would be for me. No, not at all. And he seemed a little different. Still zen, but he was so helpful and insightful last season. This time he was... Almost uncaring? Almost to the point of uncaring. It was like laissez-faire, and I was wondering if they felt the need to make that comparison stronger, to tip him even more to that side so that we feel the difference because we've been forming this connection to Penny 23. Yeah, I mean, if your boss the person you're working for, for millennium, like it's not for the rest of your life, it's forever, checked out? I guess I would be checked out too. I mean, these are your friends though. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. That he's been working so hard and I know Josh isn't the most intimate member to him of the group, but still. Overall though, I really enjoyed Purgatory. I thought it was an excellent episode. Dude, I absolutely enjoyed Purgatory. It felt like our favorite season, the writing, the beats, I mean, we were 25 minutes late on getting the poll out because we paused so much and rewound. It was really well done. Moving into Be the Hymen, the critics say, doesn't this feel like the part of the story where the good guys are just wrong? Hyman's words to Fenn at one point in this week basically describes what it feels like to be a viewer at this point as well. As much as we want these final episodes to give us a proper ending for the series, this already doesn't seem like the right direction. The article was discussing how our characters tipping 
so far over the line into moral questionability. Mm. Feels a little off timing and pacing wise to be put into episode 11 because we want to really be rooting for this quest to work and for us to win. Oh, true. I hadn't thought about it that way. I did have that same feeling. When Hyman, who hasn't really been a primary character, as much as we love to see him on screen, he hasn't been part of this group. He's the only one to be able to pick up on the fact that something's wrong with Fen. He has to realize, well, this is your world. Of course you don't want to destroy it. Why aren't they trying to think harder for a better solution? But they won't listen to you, right? Because they never listen to you. We've been saying that's true of the group, but this is such an extreme for him Mm. to come in and point it out, makes it that much more obvious. Why aren't they seeing it? For her to have to question Elliot, it really is making us feel like the bad guys. It is. I can understand why they're not seeing it. I mean, they're so close to it. They feel like they're out of time and out of answers. But I think that was a very poignant moment where it made me think, you're right. There's got to be a better way. They're just like the twins. Except for the twins aren't trying to destroy something first. (laughs) They want to build something, uh, we think. Well, the two sides of it, right? So you have Ember telling them, well, you got to do whatever's necessary, even if that means blowing the whole thing up. Willing to take severe risks to avoid this problem, but then you have Umber coming in and saying, well, actually, I've thought of that exact eventuality and Mm -hmm. built this vessel that we can take people off the planet in case it were to happen. As wrong as it feels, could we maybe be on the right track if the two gods foresaw something like this happening? Or are they just totally nuts and any idea they have should be... (laughs) Looked at a little bit skeptically. I don't have a good answer for you. Mm. I don't trust them, so uh, I don't know. I don't. I wasn't picturing those depictions of them as it was pre pre programmed, and they had these ideas already. I think it's sentient enough to deal with what's happening in the moment. That would be true, except that the arc was already built. Umber already had this pocket world. Umber had multiple pocket worlds. Tons of them, but that means he did imagine a scenario where an arc might need to be used. And Ember had imagined a couple of apocalyptic-type scenarios. He said this emanation only comes forth in the case of, oh, I forget, all of the different, like, flood, zombie apocalypse, I don't know, tons of things. So at one point, they were thinking, as gods of this land, if all of these things could happen, what might we we do? I'm sure this is a worst-case scenario type of situation, but... That's exactly what our crew is here to deal with, always. But let's start off, we're going to break down episode 510 first and go over the new faces, places, and magic that we saw in Purgatory. We met Eliphas, a man who's been trying to stop time travelers from messing with the order of things and powering himself with stolen plasma from other time travelers he takes out using this machine. Okay, so I was way off with that room last episode, or two episodes ago now. Um... I like this idea a little bit, except for uh, I don't know enough about his background to really understand why he's doing this. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a power hungry is running out of his own time juice and is trying to replenish it, which kind of sucks. I hate, you know. I like the idea of it, but it feels like something that needed a lot more time to unfold. Was this a character they imagined when they thought they had several seasons left? The whole idea of time traveling, it feels like we're jumping to it and we're going to move right past it. The character of Plum, was this a way to introduce it and then get it out of the way? Well, there's three episodes left. We know that Dean Fogg has the circumstances panel, has walked out with it. Maybe Penny next episode gets her and they 
kind of redo a little bit, maybe. I don't know. They have to travel in time to get it back from him. He's taking it, presumably, to bring to the couple. Right. I mean, he's certainly going to get something he wants in return that's going to help him on his mission. I don't know what that is. Plus, she can't really travel because Eliphas is going to kill her. Right? He said if you time travel one more time. Yeah. I'd kick his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For places, we saw the Taker realm. We finally learn more that the Takers themselves are guard dogs of the underworld who prevent souls from escaping back to the world of the living. It's this sort of in-between. We get a... We get the idea of an in-between an awful lot in The Magicians, mm-hmm. um, a buffer between two places, but it makes the most sense for me between the underworld and the world of the living, and this is almost a version of Cerberus from the Greek mythological underworld that will guard the gates. Yeah. I really like this because from, I believe, episode one, we were wondering who are the takers, what's their deal, why are they here, what's their motivation then we were starting to think, is the Dark King controlling them? We, we came up with a lot of possibilities, but now we finally know. And it was a good payoff for me because they don't seem cheap ghouls that they just added. There's a ton of information behind there that they didn't even talk about that you can just make up in your head. Hades needed to find a way to protect the souls who are living from the souls who escape and try to get back into the living, because that's going to happen constantly, right? Mm -hmm. They're the takers to take them back to the underworld. Now, that pendant he gives to Josh. Yes. Was that the only thing protecting him from the takers? So that's what I thought at first, and that's why I was really pissed, and you were too, when Josh threw it. I was Mm. like, why would he throw that? But it wasn't. It was actually the first time it was touched, when you saw the taker basically die really quick. Mm Mm-hmm. But the second time, you see that the taker doesn't die right away when he grabs it off the ground. I believe because it's more of a virus that slowly emanated throughout the taker's land. He wasn't caring about right, Josh. Right, so when Josh returns and he sees them all dead on the ground. Up as well. That's, that's real because filler. the power emanated out. Yep. So that's why, what did I'm he, why did he need to give it to Josh? He needed someone to go down and... And, and spread it. Yep. Okay. So he wasn't protecting Josh. Or at least that was only a part of it. If we want to think he's not all bad, well, he'll do my mission, but also he won't die because he has it. I don't think so because he had no way of bringing him back either. That's true. There's no way to go into the taker's world. He needed a taker to take him back to the world. Mm-hmm. But now it's, it's kind of curious to see them as not real monsters, I guess you would say. There's a purpose for them, just like bees. You see a bee, you're like, fuck, get away. But you know that there's a, there's a reason for them in the world. It's a little more extreme. Maybe like super wasps. Well, yeah, wasps. What is their purpose? That's they can go to hell. Yeah, that's worse. <laughs> Let's get into our plot. We're going to go by groups again. And we'll start with Penny and Plum. Inside the room, Penny says everything he casts is wrong here. Circumstances are impossible to read. And the signal keeps pulling them back whenever they try to leave. This is when Eliphas or Eli, a time traveler like Plum, shows up and tells them it's his job to protect the integrity of space-time, which they are threatening by trying to save Hyman. So I want to pause there. We had a Clatcher question from Todd. He wrote in to say, I'm a little confused. Eli was summoning time travelers to this isolated room to steal their time-traveling abilities, right? That's why travelers were spontaneously going there, being pulled against their will by some kind of beacon. But Plum wasn't the only one. Penny had been traveling there against his will, too, and yet he's not a time traveler, is he? 
Or was Eli just kidnapping all travelers in case they might have time-traveling abilities? If that's the case, how is it that they were returned and continued to be pulled there with no memory of him time and time again? Do you understand how this was all supposed to work? So at first, I didn't totally understand the question, and I responded with, I think he was only being pulled there because of Plum. They were trying to get to her, and he was being traveled out. But I forgot that before he tattooed her, he was being pulled there yeah. multiple times alone. How dare you forget that? So <laughs> um, it does seem like his theory is correct. He doesn't know who has that time-traveling power till he finds them or tests their plasma. He just knows they're travelers. That's what I believe. So he pulls there and he checks on them? Yeah. So why the second time for Penny? That I have no idea, unless he knew about Plum somehow, knew they had an affiliation, and kept trying to pull Penny there, hoping one of these times he'd get Plum too. It feels a little haphazard, but I'm not sure how else to explain it. Wait. I mean, she was the Chatwin, so it would make sense that he'd be after her. No, I just remembered. The reason why Penny was transferred there was because he went into Plum's mind. Remember? She was saying... They were out in the field. She was saying she's hearing these noises. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. Well, let me, let me see what I can do. He mm-hmm. takes down his charm that mm-hmm. protects him and goes into her mind. And that's when he traveled. So it was the psychic link connection between the two of them. He traveled based off of the signal that Eliphas was sending to Plum. Mm-hmm. So it was by mistake. So still, he's been trying to get Plum this whole time. Yes. And Penny's... An just accident. remember that, yeah. Okay. And about the memories, I he might have mentioned something about wiping them before sending them back. No, he didn't. Or it just was dropped. He didn't discuss it, no. Okay. He seems like a pretty strong magician. I imagine he'd have that ability. Yeah, I believe he does so that no one tells on him and he can continue doing it. Mm-hmm. This time he didn't wipe them because he wanted them to remember his warning. Oh, yeah. Stop tra- time traveling. Of course. So he goes on to produce this device that will quickly and permanently eradicate her abilities. He says they come from a mutation of the plasma factor in her blood. The amount you're born with is finite. This is a pretty amazing and also scary concept. The power is limited. Every time you use it, it lessens. I would barely use it. Mm -hmm. And really sinister what he's doing. He tells her he's going to take the rest from her, but she must consent to the spell or it won't work. When she says no, he leaves them in there in his space out of time, the room, until she chooses. After what feels like a month, but they can't be sure, because as we said, there's no sense of anything here. The sameness is becoming intolerable. Plum finally decides the only way out is to give up her power. Penny tries to stop her, but she sits in the chair. The machine straps her in, it seems to be somehow sucking the plasma out, and sometime later, when she's about to pass out, Penny becomes concerned. Checking the back of the device, he sees a jar collecting the plasma and realizes Eli is taking it. He reappears and tells them he wasn't lying about his mission. He has been trying to stop time travelers from unraveling the universe, and in the beginning, he tried asking others for their help, but eventually he gave up and has been doing it alone ever since. So again, with more time, I think this could be very interesting. I might even empathize with his mission. He's trying to just keep the balance and order of the world. And he tried doing it the nice way and nobody listened. It's almost like he's taking on the burden for himself. I don't know. Ultimately, it feels like he doesn't want to harm them. But you have to give me the plasma. Otherwise, I'm going to come kill you. I don't even know if I believe he would come kill her. Either way, Penny strikes a deal that he can have what's in the jar if he lets them leave now. So she still gets to retain whatever she's got. 
I have a feeling that part of it might come back. She has just enough to make a couple essential travels. Oh, I see. To change something about time. Okay. They, they left it there as like a Chekhov's gun type of situation. Oh. You know, if a gun is introduced early on in the story, it has to be fired by some point <laughs> at the end. No, I think that will definitely come into play because why else would that happen? Mm-hmm. What's the meaning? Also, she's a cool character. Yeah. A little disappointed she wasn't in episode 11. I know, with all the Hyman stuff going on. Yeah, but I'm glad Hyman was there. Well, he was she's, hilarious. But she's the one who really saved him, who made Penny agree to I know. put the stasis thing on. Well, so reluctantly, Eli agrees, but he says if Plum travels again, he will find her. Next, we move on to Elliot and Julia. In the White Spire dungeon, Elliot reminds her that they're stuck in a magic-proof cell. She's been trying to think of all these plans, but it's not going to work. And at this point, she starts to break down, thinking they're going to die in there. Charlton comes in to offer Elliot advice, and Julia realizes she can briefly hear him. Charlton theorizes she had a psychic attack because of the baby's father, leading them to the idea that they might be able to harness the power. So she has currently some transmitted powers from her baby. I love that idea. It's genius. I mean, when the baby's hungry or craving something, the mother craves it too. So why not if the baby's got powers? This is what gives Elliot the vague memory that he thinks he's learned about transmitted powers in a class once. But thanks to a lot of greenhouse cannabis, it's all a bit foggy. So Charlton goes into his mind and finds the memory of the class with Dean Fogg. Now it's all a bit Dean Foggy. This was kind of fun because I always wish I could go back into my memories growing up, kind of relive them. But this is that times 10 where you can go back into it and actually relive it, converse with it. That's pretty cool. Well, to a certain extent, we find out there's limits, obviously. The only thing Charlton can discover is information that was given during that class. So it reminds me of when you ask technology, AI, something that they don't understand and they just keep telling you. I don't understand that question or rephrase that question. God, like iRobot. We just talked about that in Westworld. Yeah. So he's talking about these transmitted powers. Dean Fogg, he says, do not assume your partner is a human. Hybrids abound. And that's when he knows he needs to start paying attention. Essentially, that's what Penny is. We have found out over time a hybrid with a creature. But just as a quick pause, there's a blackboard behind Dean Fogg as he's giving this class. And somebody took a picture of it. We were able to see it says do's and don'ts of magical intercourse. (laughs) There's nine of them. Are you ready? Avoid rapid finger movements. If an Mm. enlargement spell lasts for more than four hours, call a doctor. Oh, these are great. No mind control spells. Stretch. Hydrate. Potions don't count. (laughs) However magical the creature, if it can talk, it can give consent. Hexes are temporary. Curses are forever. If using levitation, remember that you will fall post-climax. And finally, don't use motion potion for lotion. (laughs) So I'd like to know whose job it was to come up with those. Someone had fun in the writing room with that. Well, we did see the levitation sex in season one. Penny and Katie. Yes. Yes. So Charlton returns with the idea... The answer to this plan is just to do the opposite of whatever Fogg's advice was. You see, the baby's reaction to this was a defense. He detected the mother's stress and reacts proactively. The advice would be to cultivate a tranquil mind. 
Here, instead, they will need to scare the shit out of Julia. <laughs> so lying to a guard, Elliot secures supplies for a potion that will give her a huge shot of anxiety. In this figment of her imagination that she doesn't know is fake, she imagines her water breaking and then pictures herself outside of the cell. When she comes out of it and realizes this, the deception, she becomes very angry, but Elliot urges her to harness that adrenaline and she is actually able to travel out of the prison. Very cool scene. It was fun. Again, I really like the way Elliot bounces off of Julia. I think they work well together in scenes. Then you add Charlton to it. I kind of think Charlton was the funniest part of all of this. It was a good scene. I don't know if Elliot and Julia are my favorite pairing. I never really felt like there was a lot of past history or anything to forge that bond as much as when I see, let's say, other pairs on screen. They definitely share the loss of Quentin is a big thing. But I don't know, I just enjoyed other pairings in this episode more than that one. But let's move on to our next group where we're going to sort of go back and forth. We have Josh dealing with his issues and then Alice, Katie, and Margot on Earth trying to respond to these things. So first we see in Fillory, the Dark King captures Josh. Chanting in Latin, he puts a medal on him, smears it with his blood, and says, Your death will not be in vain. He produces a taker who drags Josh underground. Josh awakes in a strange world where he's immediately attacked by another taker, but the touch of the metal kills it. A girl named Ash finds him and says her friends were grabbed by takers and put in an elevator. Gaining her trust, she leads him to the elevator where the only button is for the underworld. So what I'm thinking is the takers don't use the mountain with the magic doors, the elevator, to bring them back into the underworld. Instead, the takers, it looks like they build, they knock you out and they're building something with sticks and things. And they're probably going to put you in there that takes you back into the underworld. That's what it seems like to me. I, I don't know if it's similar to when they took him from the world of the living. It just looked like they were almost dragging him underground. Yeah, back into their world. Yeah, yes. into their world. So I don't know if it's a similar proposition for the underworld. I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get to see any of that anyway. But meanwhile, while this is happening on Earth, Alice tells Katie that her ghost fingers work, but they're still magically severed. So she can use them for normal things, but she can only cast one-handed. Hmm. And that narrows it down to only a few spells she can really do effectively. She was our most powerful magician. Mm -hmm. That's too bad. Now, you made a good point, and I don't mean to jump between episodes because we're trying to keep them separated, but in the next Episode 11, it seems like she's doing two-handed magic. It does. And also in the real world, without this circumstance box. Mm -hmm. So that's two things going against her. Maybe it was such a minimal magic trick. Well, she says that. She says what she's planning to do towards Marina is so simple that even with the circumstances being off, she should be able to do it. But the circumstances off and one-handed, I don't know if we're missing something or... That's just going to be something that's brushed aside a little. I don't want her not to have her magic powers, so let's just go with that. Well, and we're, build <laughs> we're building up to this major event that's going to culminate at the end of the series. We've got Penny without traveling, now Alice one-handed. It's just starting to feel a little defeatist. Quentin's gone. Yeah, there's <clears throat> a lot of shit going on. Mm -hmm. But in response to this, Katie vows to pay the couple back for what they did to Alice. And Fenn's emotional response to their friendship is cut short when Marco becomes sick, bleeding from the nose and fainting. They bring her to the break bill's lab where Alice can rely on the circumstances and diagnose the issue. 
She thinks they should sever the tether to Margot's eye before it does permanent damage, but she refuses to cut the connection to Josh. Well, there you go. Again, as soon as she said that, I was like, no, that's the fairy eye. I don't want to lose that, too. Well, not only that, but it's just demonstrating the fact that she still has these very strong feelings for Josh. She Absolutely. She cares about him a lot, and vice versa, we'll see. I never doubted that. I'll never let go, Josh. <clears throat> Back over to Josh, he arrives in the underworld and finds this waiting room. As we said, it's <laughs> very not helpful. He tries to tell the man they're not dead, but he can't do anything, so he says he'll get somebody to help. That somebody turns out to be Penny Forty. Penny Forty! Unfortunately, Penny also thinks there's nothing he can do. I should get the bad news out of the way. I can't help you. Why the hell not? Take a look around. Librarians have been going through some shit lately. No magic. Too much magic, but unpredictable. A lot of our folks got relocated, and we... kind of don't exactly know where. Okay, perfect world. Boss steps in, oversees shit, but... Hades has vanished. Your boss is the god Hades? It's cool. Except for the abandoning you part. Can't say that's great. Kind of skeleton crew. And here's the bad news for you. Our connection to the world of the living, Hades controls that. And right before he FO'd, he flipped the switch. Why? Man, dead you is just way... More zen. Uh, so after all that, why did you stay? I make a promise. I keep it. There is someone who might be able to help, but it's the suck option. <laughs> he takes them to see Benedict. That is not suck. I love him oh, as a character. It's incredibly funny. I mean, this whole setup that he's mad Penny keeps failing to RSVP to his brunches. After that episode, Arjun tweeted, if you remember... Penny gets freaked out when he's in the office and he sees that there's a drawing of him of him with Benedict. Yeah, like love it. Really weird and very obvious that Benedict drew it within show. So in real life, Arjun says, I believe this was entirely the props department and art department adding their magic and it lifting the scene higher. Gonna miss the crew. Oh, no, that was a great it's scene. really funny. Luckily, Josh responds diplomatically. And he's able to get Benedict to agree to help them. He thinks he's charted most of the underworld on these maps he's creating, except for Hades' private spot. So he must be there. Benedict leads them to a greenhouse that Hades uses as a spa bath. But the man inside tells them Hades is gone. When he left, he said he might never be back. So Josh starts to come up with a plan. We don't know what he's doing here, but he writes a note for Margot on a piece of paper. Back in the lab, we see that Alice finally finds a solution. She inserts a crystal <laughs> into Margot's eye socket. It's pretty gross. But it stops the pain and projects the images from the eye onto a screen. Oh, thank God, he's alive. Except where the shit-faced Jesus is he? Wait, why is Penny in Takerland? That's not, that's not that Penny, that's... That's Penny. That's my Penny. Right, but that would mean that Josh is in the underworld. No, 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 no. That would mean Josh is dead? Wait, wait, he's trying to tell us that he's still alive and needs our help. But I don't get, isn't Hades down there? I am so confused. <gasps> An address in Queens. Hades is on Earth? Well, shit, go check. I'd come with, but I've got a goddamn movie projector stuck in my eye hole. This was old school Margot. I love this. 
the whole scene was just it was just the jokes bouncing off of each other, all of them. This is the magicians I love. It's just, it's just like it's so easy. Ember's got a place, what, somewhere outside the city in the suburbs. Hades is hanging out in an apartment in Queens. <laughs> Why are they all just hanging around here? Well, you know, what is funny about that, back in the day, comic books, they all took place or upstate New York, New York City, mm-hmm. Jersey, Queens, Brooklyn, because the artists lived here. Yeah, that's what they knew. Right, what you know. Of course, but in universe, why are they doing it? <laughs> in episode 11, they have to go to Vancouver, which is hilarious because that's where they film. When I guess for Hades, it makes sense. It doesn't really matter where he is. Alice and Katie go to find him sitting in a garage apartment playing video games. He says he quit ruling the underworld, and they realize it's because he's in mourning. His wife, Persephone, was killed by the monster's sister. He says, when you die, you go somewhere. I know because I built it for you, to help you. There's no underworld for the gods. He doesn't know what happens to them because they're not supposed to die. Mm-hmm. Can I just state how much I love Michael Luai, who plays Hades? His acting is amazing. And of course, I mean, he's stage trained. He was on Hamilton. Yes. For like two or three years. He's amazing. I don't know why he looked different to me. Is it just because they have him scruffed up like... Shorter hair. In grunge in the apartment. Shorter hair and his facial hair is different as well. Mm -hmm. And I think he's a little skinnier than he was then. Oh, okay. Maybe lost some weight. You can tell by his voice, though. And his cadence. And what really gets him to start paying attention, Alice tells him Josh was in the taker realm, which he thinks is impossible. He explains that the creatures are guard dogs and the realm is a security measure, a barrier between the worlds. If a soul tries to come back, it takes them and returns them to the underworld. If they're in Fillory, that means someone opened a door that should not be open. I leave for a couple months and everything goes to shit. He agrees to help Josh, but says they need to stop whoever's trying to get past the takers or their world will be destroyed too. If he manages to crack the last door, it wouldn't just be his lost love to come through. All the dead could escape. It could be the end of everything. Okay. Go ahead, say Can it. Can I ask you the question? Say it. All-powerful Hades says, oh, I'll just go get Josh in the elevator, bring him back up here. But you have to go <laughs> deal with this all-powerful dark king, figuring out how to stop the takers, close this shit up. It's like everything that's impossible for regular magicians to do. I know he could do it so easily. Gods are very selfish. They're very lazy. They are that part of our brain that we bring up all the time. And I may have said this already, and I, if I did, I apologize. They are the id mm-hmm. of our brain. Not for nothing, though. The underworld and the dead is the realm of Hades. I know. This isn't just like, this is your it's shit, not dude. my problem because somebody else messed with the takers. It's not really very fair. wasn't nice of the Dark King. But if they do start getting out into the world, that's mm. going to be his issue. Yeah. Did you see the game he was playing? Very not helpful. No, I didn't. Oh, it's hilarious. You're a farmer and you have a goose as a pet. And you just, it's, there's no point to the game. It's hilarious. That makes total sense. <laughs> well, the end of this, Josh and Ash arrive back up out of the elevator. So Hades got them out. They get to Fillory where they see the bodies of many takers who died crawling toward the door. And finally transported back out of the room... Penny returns to the apartment to see a pregnant Julia, who says they should probably talk. Penny 23. Yeah. Right. Bomb dropped. I can't believe we're having to say Penny 23 again. So, Christina, I'm just going to jump into it. Rations-wise, I absolutely loved this episode. 
I'm going to go even higher than last episode. We're, we're going up. We're building, baby. I'm going 9.3 rations. Absolutely loved it. Watched it twice. Well, of course I love it. It's got two. It's got both pennies in it. It's got magic. It's got time travel. Hades. I really enjoyed it as well, but maybe this is the bias of I like the next episode better. Now that we've seen two, I'm kind of comparing them to each other. I still think I prefer the last episode, Cello, Squirrel, Daffodil, just a little bit more. So I'm going to give it an 8.9. Still, these were my two highest episodes. Nine, I was at a nine. And 10, I'm at an 8.9. Yeah, these last three, nine, 10, and 11 are my favorites for this season. Yes, absolutely. But I'll watch A Life in a Day a million times. <laughs> yeah. So let's ask our Clatchers how they felt about Purgatory. Over on Twitter, at CKC Podcast. We gave you Plum and Penny 23, Josh and Penny 40, Julia and Elliot, and finally Alice, Katie, and Margot. We had to give all three there. Coming in at last place with 6.2%, oh, was Plum and Penny 23. I know, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> well, I gotta say, it was fun. We thought the room would have more of a payoff, mm-hmm. and it may in the future. We have three episodes left. Three? Two. Oh my God. We have two episodes left. Kill me. Well, after this double episode, we'll have two. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things (laughs) they got to try to wrap up here. But we, at this point, don't know how it circles back into the main storyline. And I think our Clatchers are feeling that, too. The other three options are close. Coming in third with 27.7% is Josh and Penny 40. A little nostalgia working in their favor. It's Penny 40. But also, Josh was really good in this episode. Figuring out how to get to Hades. That's a big deal. Wound up being the turning point. I mean, it's Alice, Katie, and Margot that go get him, but they needed the information that Josh and Penny Forty came to to do so. Yeah, how about that feeling you got in the bottom of your stomach when Katie says, No, that's my penny? Mm-hmm. Oh. I was like, Me too, Katie. <laughs> I hear you. I don't know. I think uh I like Penny 23 better now. Oh, no. <laughs> it's because of how they weirdly kind of changed 40 in this episode. I don't think that's very fair. Oh, recency bias I'm having? Yeah. Maybe. That yeah. might be true. I got to rewatch the whole series. <laughs> and in second place with 30.8% is Alice, Katie, and Margot. Very funny scenes. Uh, I mean, it's really important. They found out what the takers are. What the problems are. They did. They did a lot of the work. I don't know why it just felt less compelling. The scene where they actually discover Hades is amazing, but it's more Hades talking in his state that Mm -hmm. I enjoyed. I don't know. I agree with the second place there, I guess. But coming in first place with 35.4% were Julia and Elliot. I mean, we're going to have to see what the Clatchers say. I'm guessing it's because of the emotional connection between them because storyline-wise... I don't think they progressed things the most. I mean, they figured out about Julia's transmitted powers. They were able to get out of the prison. Huge steps for them both personally and their relationship together. But big picture wise, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, knowing episode 11 now, it's a big deal that they figured out and learned the fact that this child's a hybrid and how it could affect Julia. But... In regards but to this episode. Julia, like it's yeah. not to do with the world seed, the control panel, all the things we know are going to be the three big factors for the couple and the rest of the season. At least we think. I mean, maybe that comes back in in a really big way. So let's see what the Clatcher said. Bert says, Alice, Katie, and Margot, because Margot gave Josh her eye. 
Alice created the Margot projector, so they found Hades. By the way, I'm still in mourning over this being the final season. Think the show's focus on grief is really to help all of us with our own grief? <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Melly said, I vote for Josh and Margot Pro. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Margot Pro, I thought that was a great Josh moment. He's had a couple good moments. Um, in next episode, who are you going to call? Ghost Butler? That's all Josh. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's the uh, king of that. Brian says, Penny 40, always Penny 40. And mm. I haven't even watched the episode yet. I agree. <laughs> Hillary says, voting for Alice, Katie, and Margot. They found Hades in the info about the takers will be instrumental for the rest of the story. But I loved seeing Penny 40. Sherry Ava also votes for the trio. They don't know it yet, but they have all the pieces needed to solve the puzzle. Between Margot's projector eye and Katie and Alice's chat with Hades, they freed Josh, explained the mystery of the takers, and found the Dark King's motivation. Can we please group the pennies together for a most powerful grouping in tonight's episode? (laughs) Arjun Gupta did amazing double duty in keeping Penny believable as two distinct characters. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, last season when they actually did have both Pennies together. That was a good scene. She also said, did everyone catch the shout out to Inception in this episode? Brian said Margot's eye was the MVM. It's what let everyone, especially Katie, know that Penny 40 is still around. But, but then you got to give it to Alice because she created the eye. Oh, well, she created the... Projector. She jammed a crystal in there. Yeah, man. I don't know how hard that Sometimes is. Sometimes you just got to jam a crystal she in there. Says, Kelly says if Josh hadn't gotten sent to Taker's Land, then we really wouldn't have an episode. I agree. He was the catalyst for everything and set up the big arc for the back half of the season. The Takers are dead and nothing is stopping Seb. You know what, Kelly? If you're going to think that way, then you might as well say it's the Dark King. Because if the Dark King didn't bring Josh into the underworld. Yeah, but legit, <laughs> he had to get to the underworld. Yeah. To even have this discussion happen. Absolutely. And they did find that info. No, I agree. I'm just being silly. Peaches and Plums. Josh and Penny 40 got my vote this week. Great to see original Penny. And special shout out to Benedict. Was delighted to see him in the underworld. And I loved Penny's reaction to the mm-hmm. picture on the mantelpiece. That's the one we were talking about. Be Nice says, still know all of the above option? The entire cast <laughs> is bringing their A-game each week as the stories combine and overlap. Having to separate out who did the best is like picking your favorite Margoism. We love them all. Story-wise, it's still hard to see how Penny 23 and Plum will fit into the Death to the Dark King mantra the rest of the season is gearing up for. Julia and Elliot were a great dramedy duo. Other than being able to fill in their bit of detail that Sebastian wants to bring back Lance, the reveal that the baby would have powers is another storyline we will sadly never see. Without the addition of Josh and Penny 40, we would not have learned about the trouble in the underworld, which leads to the trio that won my vote for bringing the story together. Katie, Alice, and Margot. Everyone's talking about them, yet they didn't win the poll. Crazy. Alice recognizing grief and relating to Hades was a touching scene. Katie's show of true friendship for Alice and, of course, Margot's newfound projector skill colliding with her usual witticisms made them unstoppable. Things are almost in place to finish the season. So I agree, this was really hard. Now, if we put an all of the above option on there, it would... Always win. It would have 90% (laughs) every single time. So that's the issue with that one. So who are you going to go with? I was back and forth. I I agree with what everyone's saying about Alice, Katie, and Margot, but I'm going to give it to Josh and Penny 40. I am biased. I do love some Penny 40, seeing him back on screen. Benedict was hysterical. And Josh is really come into his own he Absolutely. made so much happen he's I agree with alone you. in the taker realm for goodness sake i have to say josh and fen have really become one of the main roles yeah of the group mm-hmm. and 
it doesn't just feel like because the story wants them to be there. It feels like they have grown and progressed as characters. Absolutely. I was thinking about going that way with as well, but we've been picking very similarly. And these are so close, I'm going to take this opportunity to be different. And I'm going to say Dr. Ford. <laughs> Alice, Katie, and Margot. Yeah, I... I was so between those. I, I really agree with you. We got a lot of comments about that, too. Even the way they were doing the scenes. They were bouncing back and forth between the three of them and then Josh's storyline. It was sort of split back and forth, a group yeah. effort. But Josh's storyline made the episode for sure. And that leaves us with Be the Hymen. But before we move forward, I forgot to ask you, Clatchers, on the top. Did you guys enjoy the interview with Brittany? Because we really had fun, and I think... That was shown. We had a little bit of the case of the giggles. <laughs> I was very nervous. But I found that episode very enjoyable. But we want to know what you guys think. It's weird. You, you, you send a podcast out into the ether, and you don't really know how everyone feels about it. If you guys liked it, let us know and let Brittany know via Instagram or Twitter. That helps us to feel good that we did well. But it also helps us in a way where it makes these actors want to come back on. Because they enjoy themselves and they realize their fans enjoyed it as well. So if you liked that episode, tweet at her, Instagram at her. I don't know what the correct terminology, Instagram at. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> Message her, IG? whatever. IG her. <laughs> Let her know. Because hopefully we can have more of those. And if you have constructive feedback for us, you can always feel free to write in email to contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com. Although, Jason, we did get some feedback in general. I want to give a quick shout out to our most recent five-star review from The Cheap Mathematician. Now, this is Tina, and she's left reviews on all of our other channels as well. Thank you so, so much, Tina. Tina, you are amazing. She says that our podcast is smart, passionate, and we do not miss a detail. And this is why I love this so much, because we do so much work trying to cover as many areas as we can, that it just feels really good when we get that feedback that it's noticed. Absolutely. It does fuel us, and I've said that in the past, but... I'm serious. These little things, Tina, really helps. But also a shout out to the review from Sandy Anna, who's pleading for Netflix to grab the oh, magician yes, series. Oh, yes, we all are. Hopefully Netflix will be like a taker and take it to a better place. Moving on to episode 11, Be the Hymen. We open up with Margot kind of giving everyone a recap. She's filling Josh in on the situation and what he's missed while he was in the underworld. She says that Rupert needed to get rid of the takers to break out his lover, so he used Josh to take them out. She also says she was worried that she thought their relationship was over, but he reassures that her saving him buys them a clean slate. Penny and Julia also discuss their relationship, and he thinks they broke up for good reasons and they haven't changed, but he does want to be there for the baby, unlike his own father, so they agree they're not going to romantically be together, but they will raise the baby together. But these conversations are interrupted when Elliot and Fenn pass out in the elevator. <laughs> they find out the same has happened to Margot and Josh. They wake up having been transported to a version of Fillory where Ember summons them. He says, I'm an energetic emanation, a <laughs> message left by the god to warn the former high kings of Fillory of the impending apocalypse. Since, you know, the current ruler is the problem. I love the way Ember speaks. He's such a pompous asshole, but also likable in a way. Yeah, he's funny. hysterical. Are his eyebrows exaggerated or were they always like that? I think they were always They're that like way. really large and in charge. He's a ram for God's sake. Wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> he tells the group that the dead drain life. In addition to being just 
very creepy, the dead drain life, contaminating everything they touch, like a pickle on a sandwich. I like pickles. Behold! A dead person wriggling from their grave. <laughs> and this is every Felorian who has ever lived. Oh. 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 You see, oh. the pickles of the dead will ruin Fillory. You must stop this, whatever the cost. Well, the cost is blowing up the entire planet, which is... A decent option. I was going to say counterproductive. Only if you care about peasants, which... I do not. At that, Anok brings Umber's emanation to the meeting. He says he was designed to intervene if his brother ever tried something, well, apocalyptic. After I faked my own death, I fled to Earth and built new worlds. Didn't finish any? Did too! Mostly. I intended to rescue my people from this chaotic place, so I also built an ark. Like a big-ass bug? A pocket world. A temporary vessel that pulls every living Valorian off the planet so that I might deliver them to a new, more perfect world. So you're saying we can use the Ark, rescue the people, blow up Fillory, and stop the Dark King? If anyone is going to destroy this putrid stankhole, it will be me. Hashtag slap fight. Yeah, they argue, of course. It just doesn't seem like a good idea to me at this point. It really doesn't. There's got to be way. I mean, here's the thing. In a moment, Alice is going to come up with this idea that I knew was coming based on what happened in the books. But you actually said a couple of episodes ago when we were conjecturing, what could the world seed be used for? You said, could it make a new world? Could it make a new fillery? But is it really fillery if it's a new fillery? If this is a world seed that can create anything, you could make any world you want to. All right, well, let me ask you this question. What you'd be missing is the people, and now the Ark supplies the people. Will the Ark take Jane Chatwin? Because she's kind of like in a world within the world. I mean, there's definitely some questions. The bigger one that they bring up, what about the Wellspring? It says the whole world will be created, but the Wellspring is where magic comes from. Yeah. So they need to be 1,000% sure that it's going to recreate that or they're going to have problems. And I think that's the biggest question mark uh, because they don't know. Has anybody ever used a world seed before? Do we know what it did do? I know, right? I mean... The, the thing I guess, though, is if the world is going to end anyway, there's going to be an apocalypse. Even a drastic solution is better than nothing. Where they trip me up is in a little bit when Julia talks to Sir Effingham they both realize the prophecy is about them. So it's another one of these weird back and forth through time things. Is there only going to be an apocalypse? The reason they got this prophecy is because he's able to see into the future that this group destroys the world. Yeah. If they never came up with the plan to destroy the world and create a new one, would there still be an apocalypse? So what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah. I mean, we've seen this before with the moon problem on Earth this season. Well, if you ask Hades, just the Dark King opening that door will end the world, if too. If they can't stop him, yeah. Yeah, so, no, I'd say it's because of the Dark King. Well, again, that goes back to Fen says, there's no other solution? Are they thinking of everything they can do to stop the Dark King rather than, well, this planet's done then? Yeah, I agree. You know? With what Fen goes through this episode... I just uh, I kept thinking about our interview with Brittany, and she kept not alluding to this, but bringing up the fact that how Fen's been treated and how she's grown. 
And knowing that that was in the back of her mind and we had no idea. Well, and in fairness, we asked the question about the growth of her character and how she seems to be kind of taken for granted and not appreciated. Yeah. Especially the relationship with Elliot. Were we going to see any more of that development? So it's pretty fantastic that she knew all of this was coming in just a few episodes. Yeah. And she didn't say anything. I remember when we had Arjun on, he, w- he would pause and he'd be like, hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's interesting because <laughs> something's about to happen, but I can't tell you guys. You remember that? Yep, <laughs> and I yep. was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so while the group is talking to the Ember Umber emanations, on Earth, Penny brings in Lipson to diagnose what's going on with them. Lipson says they're fine. They're just asleep and there's nothing they can do but wait it out. In the meantime, she checks up on Julia's baby. She says everything looks fine, but Julia's fast forwarded through her first two trimesters and accelerated pregnancies can be more high risk. There could be dangers from the baby's inherited powers. Thus, she wants her to come to the lab where they can run proper tests because they have the circumstance panel and just make sure that everything is cool. Julia, dare I say, people are going to get mad at me, was borderline annoying a couple times this episode because she was being so passive about what the dangers are. And I know that it all had to happen so that it would lead to that great ending scene with Penny. But during it, I was like, It felt like forced writing to get to that point. Why is she being so ignorant to this and not listening? Obviously, something's, you know, she should get checked up. Well, because what is the harm or difficulty in just going there and having her run a few tests? They really had to push that line that they put Julia on from the beginning of the season, putting her at odds with Penny that, this job is too important. I got to research stuff for the mission. Even the job they give her initially is to decipher this foreign language. This diff- mm-hmm. I mean, she could take books with her. It's not like <laughs> she's really being demanded of anything. So it did feel a little odd. Like they really had to push her in that direction to put her and Penny on opposite sides of the argument. Oh, one could say opposite sides of the coin. Oh, my goodness. Moving on, the group the group is okay, thankfully. They return and relay the message from the Ram Gods. They decide the answer is a compromise between the two, which is probably always the best bet if Ember and Umber would have just gotten on the same page. They, they can destroy this villary, but take the people to a new one. They raise all the questions we talked about, what happens to the wellspring and magic. They're unsure, but Alice thinks if they can just find the world seed, they could build a new place. So they split the tasks up. Julia will work on deciphering the language. Alice will find the seed. Margot and Elliot will get the Ark. Penny's traveling is broken, so that won't work. But he realizes Hyman can help. So he goes to find him and removes the stasis pendant, (laughs) bringing Hyman back to life. Hyman is initially overwhelmed. He's so grateful to be restored and delighted in the return of his senses. To touch everything. This is probably the funniest scene all season. Uh, All the scenes with Hyman, I think he's so witty and so ignorant at the same time that it's hilarious. It's delightful. (laughs) Whatever that squirrel thing is, that's mounted on the wall. I mean, when he puts his hand over the candle the first time and it burns it, then he goes to do it again. Just kidding. (laughs) It's so funny. But I can empathize what he's going through. I mean, he's been there for so many years as a... Ghost, basically. He couldn't touch anything. He couldn't feel anything. He couldn't taste anything. So I would do the same I thing. I know. Was it whipped cream yes, that he got? Cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says, I love fingering things. <laughs> and he agrees to help travel them. Of course, he'd agree to anything right now. This is the moment, privately, though, that he notices Fen is upset. 
he thinks she would like to tell the others the plan is crazy, but they wouldn't listen to her. Okay, outsider to outsider. Yeah? Doesn't this feel like the part in the story where the good guys are just wrong? Heart's in the right place, but they haven't learned the lesson of this little morality play they're in yet. So they have this crazy plan that makes them almost as bad as the villain. Or maybe it's just me. So next we'll talk about what each group is doing. We have the High Kings, as I'm calling this crew, Elliot and Fenn, Margo and Josh. After traveling them to Ember's house, the group dismisses Hyman. They're, they're pretty mean to him. I get it. He's obnoxious. He doesn't know boundaries. But them pushing him off, much the way they've been doing to Fenn or to other characters, is going to create a problem later. And they don't realize that. You know, yes. But we have to remember what they know of Hyman, especially Penny now, seeing the original Hyman. Um, and they're about to go talk to a god or go into a god's house. You don't want something, someone that you don't trust yet hanging around that could ruin everything. There had to be a better way to do it, though. Yeah, They're like, thanks true. for traveling us. Get lost. You're a weirdo. <laughs> well, at the house, they find the ghost version of Ember guarding the door, and they need to figure out a riddle to get inside, or so they think. Well, ghost human version. Yeah. Don't forget it's that. It's the actual actor. It's yeah. And he's really good looking. Yep. And I was like, wow, that does not look like him. <laughs> he starts out by saying, in the beginning, there was nothing until a tigress, blind in one eye, came to a lonely shore. The tigress looked upon this raw world and, and I was loving this because this whole story is taken from the magician's novel. It's part of our closer look later, so we will get into that more. But it was awesome that Fenn was the only one to realize it's not random nonsense, but Florian scripture. The story of Ember and Umber's birth. I love the way she comes into the scene because she was behind Elliot, who's very tall. And she comes in all, sticks her head over, and then's like, I know it. And so she finishes, the tigress waded into the ocean and drowned herself. As her body disappeared beneath the waves, two shells washed ashore. From the shells came Ember and then his shadow, Umber. They're happy that they were that they are able to get inside, but disappointed once they get downstairs and Elliot realizes the shelf that used to hold the pocket worlds is empty. The emanation informs them they were removed for security purposes. So their next challenge is identifying the true arc from among several globes containing pocket worlds. They now push Fen to make the right choice quickly. She's fed up and Good she tells them it. to figure it out for themselves. I mean, so rude of Margot. Like, oh, you do it, because we can't... But get on with it. Hurry up. She's been like that to Fen all season, starting yeah. with the interaction with the fairies. Well, Margot has a reason. You slept with my lover. Y yes, and I agree. I was really mad that we just quickly jumped over that entire situation. Yeah. We are addressing the fallout between Margot and Josh, but not totally between Margot and Fen. And so I think there's been a lot of underlying aggression... Oh, yeah, I mean... Lacing they, their interactions. They even fought. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't quite do it, I guess. So Fen storms out of the room, and Elliot goes to apologize. He says the way they've been treating her is wrong, and he asks for her help. She thinks if this were Earth, they would try a little harder, and she can't just watch as they destroy it. So Elliot thinks, but you can still love something, even after it's gone. And Fen comes to this revelation. She runs out just in time. She sees the other globe starting to explode, and she quickly grabs the right one with the seahorse, explaining that's how Ember and Umber first brought people to Fillory. They chartered the great seahorse to carry them in his pouch. 
Man, that was a great scene with the explosions. And maybe now that we've actually talked to Brittany, I'm looking at all her mannerisms and I'm seeing how well she's doing. Mm-hmm. There's so many scenes in this episode that I'm just like, wow, way to go, Brittany. Those mm. were awesome. Acted very well. Well, I think they're really giving her some more scenes that highlight her or that have an emotional journey. It's not just her saying funny things in the background. Yeah, she can sink or, her teeth into this. Yeah. Well, our next pairing is Alice and Katie. They learn that Marina is the only person who knows more about the couple and might be able to help them. They go to her house, but they find a changed and strangely kind Marina. Yeah, I was thrown off too. Shorter hair, super nice. This actress looks like she lost even more weight. And she was always very skinny to begin with. Yeah. I don't know if it's the haircut or she actually did. But her acting is amazing because she really... Everything from the way she's talking to the fact that her eyes are really wide. You know, like somebody that's innocent in it or innocent. Oh, yes. Um, she's the complete opposite of the Marina we used to know. But yeah, she explained she went to a trance healer who put a block on all parts of her personality that made her aggressive and self-destructive. I mean, ooh, this is almost like a partial lobotomy. Yeah. Oh, I don't. Don't love it. I mean, Marina was problems. She needed help. Yeah. But this this is not the answer. And you can see she's fighting the natural inclinations that are still underneath. At first, when Alice divulges they're looking for the couple, she immediately says no. That's an old Marina decision, and it would be very dangerous. She admits, though, she knows the couple has the world seed. That's what she wanted to steal when they stopped the harmonic convergence and ruined her plans. They're hiding the seed inside a hotel called Benave. I've been there. They only let in magicians. Everything about it is secret. Has a vault? It's the most secure place on the planet. But you had a plan to break in. I had partners. We spent months constructing a map of every inch of that hotel and its defenses. We called it our heist book. Problem is, things got really crazy, and I don't actually know where the book ended up. But I know someone who might. But it turned out to be a suicide mission. One was killed, and the other, Gavin, who we recognize from his time at the library, is now in a full body cast in the hospital. They go there, and they threaten him with taking down his psychic wards until he admits Anna took the book after things went bad. So a few things. This hotel, I want to see it because I'm very intrigued. Only magicians can go to. You know what that reminds me of? You haven't seen this, but John Wick. There's this really special hotel where all these assassins and hitmen go to, and only they can go in. And they have their own kind of currency, so you need to use that currency. Mm. And it's spectacular. It's beautiful. So I'm thinking it's something similar to that, where only magicians can go. And they're trying to break into this place. But also at the same time, these scenes, the way Alice is speaking to Marina, she actually feels like a villain. If you watch those scenes again, the mm-hmm. way she's talking, you're like, wow, she is becoming the bad guy. Well, and Alice always had a bit of a propensity. Yeah. And I do wonder if not having her full magical skill is affecting things here, if there would be other magical answers she would think of if circumstances weren't off and she wasn't missing a hand and yeah. everything's just gotten more extreme, much the way coming up with this plan to destroy Fillory is getting more extreme with the impending apocalypse. There's a sense of urgency. Absolutely. For everyone. And also, 
I don't know that they feel too bad about hurting Marina because Marina has done awful things to them and tons of other people in the past. It's really hard right now seeing this transformed version of her. Yeah. But we didn't feel that way about old Marina. That's true. Something that uh, was brought up in these scenes that made me think about it in real life and it's affected me. All those people who are in those kinds of casts, how do they poop? Or do anything? What if there's an itch? I mean, there's so many... Well, the itches have been made jokes of a lot. Like, there's no... That's painful in itself. But for for real, how do you shit or pee? In real life, they probably put a tube in there before they put the cast on. Okay, so there's a hole in the back. you can have, like... You know, a collection bag or whatever. Google that. They're just not gonna show <laughs> they're not gonna show that on TV, you know. We are introduced here to Anna, Marina's former girlfriend, who is very angry and ready to turn them away the minute they show up at her door. Marina tries to apologize, but this isn't looking like it's going to work, which is when Alice goes really dark, realizes they're gonna have to remove the trance and turn her back to old Marina to get her to convince her. But first, she makes Marina sign a word as bond spell, ensuring that she can't betray them later. They then remove the trance, and Marina is able to convince Anna to give them the heist book. And in our last grouping, we have Penny and Julia. While they're trying to decipher this language at the apartment, Julia starts hearing voices. She brushes off Penny's concern, telling him it's just aftershock. But clearly worried, Penny goes and steals the circumstance control panel from the lab. You gotta love it. Well, more specifically, Penny and Hyman. <laughs> yes. He's come up with a very good reason for this. You know, he says without it, the couple can't do anything. So it's good to have it here. But also now Lipson can run the scans on her. She's frustrated ahead of his, at his pushing and thus leaves. I mean, this is the scene I think where it really culminates that you're thinking, why is this such a big deal? Yeah. You know? But after she does, we get a conversation between Hyman and Penny, where Hyman admits he's now frustrated with the limitations of being human, and he actually wants to return to stasis. Before, he was a part of everything. Now, he feels like a minor character in his own story. Penny convinces him it will take time, but it's a better trade-off to be able to make your own connections than just to spy on people because you're lonely. Very good scene, though. Mm-hmm. While Julia is gone, she finds Sir Effingham, who is about to bestow the quest on her. Oh, thank you so much. I'm already on the quest. When he realizes she is actually one of the people from the vision he's been getting, intent on destroying Fillory and stealing her people. But, but know this. The death of Fillory cannot come without a cost. What do you mean? Those who would destroy her will lose the ones they love. That's pretty ominous. So Julia returns and shares the news with Penny. In turn, he tells her something he's never told anyone before. After his dad left, his mom started having episodes, getting disoriented, hearing voices that weren't there, and it only got worse after he was born. She burned down the apartment, and he got put in foster care. Every time she'd get him back, she'd get sick again, until the state eventually took him away for good. He is convinced those transmitted powers that Julia is experiencing now throughout the pregnancy became a real problem, and being around him caused this illness to happen. He's worried the same thing will happen to Julia. She thinks he's wrong. They understand magic. It won't be like that. But she understands what he's feeling, and she agrees to the treatment. Well, this is something I didn't see coming, and it explains a lot about Penny's pain Mm -hmm. that we saw straight from season one. His gift is so powerful 
that it can create an issue with the mother if she doesn't have that same gift, mm-hmm. actually make them go crazy. But I believe with Julia, I believe it wouldn't happen to her. She was endowed in the past with God powers. And I think even though she relinquished those powers, I think there's still something within her that's godlike mm-hmm. that would protect her from something like that. I don't even know if about protection. What she's telling him is your mother didn't know about magic. So it's not as though someone could tell her the way they've told Julia. It's because the baby inside of you is psychic. You're hearing voices because you're gaining some of his powers and you're able yes. to hear other people. She just thinks she's losing it and hearing voices and it's it's driving her crazy. So Julia thinks it would be a totally different situation this time around with her knowing that, with them having magic to fix certain problems. It makes sense, but it also makes sense of why Penny has been terrified and wants to have nothing to do with his powers throughout the whole series. Yeah. Well, what's more serious with that is that Penny's mother got worse after she gave birth. Mm -hmm. It It didn't didn't go away. Yeah. And that's the problem. So that makes you wonder if the powers are permanent or if it was being around Penny because every time he left he says it got a little better it was worse when he returned Mm. so like proximity power I don't know it's weird at the end here it looks like they're coming to a resolution but back at the cottage we see Psycho Fog has escaped his imprisonment coming back around to the being mean to Hyman thing is going to cause a problem he took Penny's advice tried to go make a friend went and talked to Fog we assume that Fog Punched him and then managed to escape once Hyman got close enough? I guess so. I mean, I didn't think Hyman would be dumb enough to go talk to someone who's in a jail. Back it up. You didn't think Hyman would be dumb enough. Nope. Period. But there's plenty of... Hard stop. Isn't there plenty of other people he could speak to? No, who? Nobody's there. I don't know, man. I don't want to... I didn't want it to be an issue with Hyman. (laughs) I it like seemed him. like I it must have been, though. Nobody yeah. else was there, and he did say, I don't know what happened. He just punched me out. Well, I, I, what I was assuming is that because Dean Fogg said, the problem when you make enemies is sometimes they will work together. I thought the couple broke him out. I mean, they might have, but I feel like if what they need is the circumstance panel, why would they go through the trouble to go there, break Fogg out, and then leave him with the circumstance panel? It's all a little bit odd. It, it was as though... The only reason they need him is to come bring them that. So they somehow spoke to him, explained what they need and want. We got a message to him. Okay. Maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, we're going to have to see. But either way, Penny drives the point home. The issue here is that the couple just got the last thing they need. Now they have the seed, the page, and the panel. Nothing can stop them from making their own world. And that's the end of the episode. So that leaves us with questions for 10 and 11 we brought up. Plum has some limited amount of time traveling powers. Will that come back into play for something important at the end of the season? What's going to happen with the inherited powers that Julia is getting from the baby? Can gods die? And if so, where do they go? I mean, Hades brought up these issues beforehand. Will the wellspring being in Fillory affect magic if they do decide to destroy the world? It has in the past. I'm saying, can they transfer it to new uh, Fillory, or will it die? Uh, will Effingham's dire predictions come true? If they go through with this, they'll lose the ones they love. And is our group turning into the bad guys? I don't know. Well, Christina, that brings us to ratings from 1 to 10 surges. So for Be the Hymen, what is your score? 
Well, this is hard because I did like it more than the last episode, but I still think Cello Squirrel Daffodil is my favorite. So I'm just going to go for a solid nine surges. That's good. Nine's good. That's an A. Well, for me, I'm pretty similar to you. I enjoyed this episode just as much as episode 10. So I'm going with the same grade as Purgatory with 9.3. So now you know how we feel. Let's find out what our Clatchers feel. This week, we gave you Penny and Julia, Alice and Katie, Elliot and Fenn, Ember and Umber. It's nice to write Ember and Umber I again. I love that. Coming in at last place with 7.1% is Ember and Umber. Note there's five hours left on the poll, but it shouldn't change too much. Well, they were just emanations, but energetic ones. Absolutely. And definitely entertaining. It seems like, and I think we mentioned this before, that they're trying to get as many of the people as they can back from former former storylines before the show ends. We got to see Marina again. Both Charlton and Hyman came back. We're getting some book characters that we never got a chance to see. And so, of course, you need to bring Ember and Umber back in some fashion, right? Although I still think their advice wasn't good. Well, that remains to be seen, but it certainly pushes the plot line forward, right? It's causing them to decide to continue to go ahead with this crazy plan. Yeah, I just wish they had something better to say, like, we built this world. There's a, uh, I don't know, a magical toilet. When have they, they ever that, been helpful and it'll help you. in that fashion? <laughs> this is about as helpful as they get. Well, yet again, the top three are in a close race. So in third place, at 25%, are Penny and Julia. You know, I think we mentioned throughout the episode we were a little bit frustrated with the dynamic, and probably intentionally so. We want to see them on the same page. But by the end of the episode, you get Penny finally opening up sharing some of his backstory we never got to learn, and the two of them coming to a compromise and seemingly a way they can move forward together. And in second place with 30.4% is Alice and Katie. Well, they did a lot of convincing with Marina. I actually felt bad for Marina at times. And I'm going to repeat this. I feel like Alice is kind of villainous in this episode. Yeah, so... They are pushing that storyline forward. It's just hard to get on board with the plan. But coming in first place with 37.5% were Elliot and Fenn. And when was the last time we had Elliot and Fenn grouped up together? If ever. (laughs) It was short screen time-wise, seeing them together. Elliot apologizing. We've been waiting so long for that discussion. But Fenn's abilities being recognized, hopefully working together in a better way now. I hope so. Treat her better. So let's see what the Clatchers had to say. Bert really wants us to put an everyone option up there. She (laughs) says she wishes she could vote for them all. They all work together, but Alice and Katie are the brains behind the solution. I love Josh and Margo back together. Time for some network to pick this up. Seriously. Come on, guys. (laughs) Netflix, you got the money. Do it. Well, that reminds me. This is normally Patreon stuff, but we already recorded that. On the news today, because everyone's quarantined, Providers, internet providers, are requesting applications such as Netflix to stop allowing HD streaming because everyone is watching Netflix and Amazon Prime. We're borderline crashing the internet. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh my goodness. How bad would that be on top of everything? I know. If we didn't have electricity, I think we would be exponentially more freaked out. Mm Mm-hmm. Sherry Ava says, it was a relief to see Fenn demand respect and equal treatment. She is the voice of Fillory, and her vote should have the greatest value. I like that. And I think Brittany will like that, too. But she says her MVM for episode 11 is Alice and Katie for recognizing a possible way to save Fillory using the world seed and hunting for the couple. 
Also, it's always a banner day with Marina in the mix. Also, who do you think the ominous warning from Sir Effingham was directed to? Are our flawed heroes making a mistake? Can they stop the pickles? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if that was one person specifically. Was it meant for Julia as the leader of this quest? Or did it mean anybody involved will lose the ones they love? I don't know either. And I'm afraid to start guessing because I, they haven't leaned into any of it. So it could be any one of them at this point. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Dude, if Fen dies and we had that interview with Brittany and she held that in, hats off to her. I don't want to see any of them die. Brian C. says, Fen, finally demanding the respect she deserves. She won't be raising her hand to talk ever again. Be Nice agrees with the all of the above, saying, stop making us choose our favorite among the kids we love, adore, and appreciate. Okay, back to business. Ember and Umber were fun. Big shout out to the writers for timely use of pandemic as a call for the return. They started laying a patchwork for a possible option. Fen, flexing her ovary-up muscles, gave a new perspective to the destroy fillery plan. Elliot's line about being left out of a decision that destroyed something you love seemed like a Quentin reference. Oh, for sure. Alice and Katie as a team is a story that could have been in every episode. Katie didn't need to be Marina. She's a badass on her own. My vote goes to Julia and Penny for all the emotions. Penny revealing more of himself, Julia talking about not having control of her situation again, but the two of them choosing to not battle Fog on his terms was a great setup for our full-on glee moment next week. Wish the groundwork for the aftershocks Julia is experiencing from her baby hadn't been raised, as we'll never see how it comes to resolution, among other stories. I think that when we get to our Magician's bonus cast for the end of the series, Mm -hmm. we'll probably try to make a list of storylines that we didn't get to. You know, when and if another network should pick it up for follow-up answers. Or maybe just give some of our own theorizing. Sure. Courtney says, just wondering if we ever get to see the hours of slap fighting they cut out. (laughs) Those two actors must just be having a blast. You know, I heard in another interview how many hours they had to spend before shooting started getting their prosthetics and their makeup on for these costumes. And they were in something like six-inch stiletto heels underneath those hooves. Oh, yeah. But the slap fight had to be the funnest part of filming for them. Courtney, what we can do is we can make a GIF of them slapping, and it'll just keep cycling, and just stare at it for an hour, and there you go. Or you and I can do a slap fight, and we'll make a GIF of that. (laughs) The Viking says, great episode. Good to see them visit Vancouver again, considering it's the location they actually filmed the show. Yep, absolutely. Elliot Todd says, voting for Hyman. Without him, it would take them days to get Umber's place, even longer with the closed border now. And he helped Penny realize that he cared about Julia no matter what. Hyman shipped Julia and Penny before they even shipped themselves. Michelle212 says Fen spoke up for herself and Fillory. They wouldn't have gotten in the door without her, and only she knew Fillory well enough to pick the right pocket universe. Plus, Umber called on her as High King equal to any child of Earth. If Fillory is saved, it'll be because of Fen. Yeah, and Elliot Todd is also shouting out Hyman for making Fen realize she didn't need anyone's approval. So Hyman's really behind it all, is the point here. This was a great episode for him. Yeah, this certainly was. Until the end. Until the end. <laughs> Elliot Todd ends with some questions. Number one, why did Elliot say he's not sure the wellspring is in Fillory? I'm taking all of that to mean where does the source of magic come from? Is it just the water that flows through Fillory? Or is that how the magic comes out and trickles into other worlds? Is the source of it gods themselves? Is it another planet? 
coming back to our question of if you destroy and rebuild the world, can it be transferred? Or is the seed of it in Fillory and it disappears? <laughs> then a funny question. Did Hyman put pickles in his sandwich? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say I want that sandwich. It looked really good. He seems like a pickle person, but not the ones Ember and Umber had. Those no. look gross. <laughs> Get some like fiery jalapeno in there. And who did Alice slap first when she tried waking up the High Kings? I'm going to say Margot has the fastest reaction rate in my mind. I'm going to take the first crack at it this time. And I'm going to give you my vote as Elliot and Fen as well. One, because Fen saved the day. If it wasn't for her, they wouldn't have even gotten into Umber's house. And if it wasn't for her, they would not have chosen the correct globe. I love that choice. Sorry. And if it wasn't for Elliot, she wouldn't have gone back downstairs to get the globe. Teamwork makes the dreams work. They win. Now that you and the poll have given it to them, I am free to give it to Ember and Umber. They did shit! I truly believe, without them nudging this idea, that plan never comes to creation. And all of our other players here don't have a chance to split up tasks, do what they need to do. They planted the, the seed. Pun intended? The world seed. <laughs> it's a bad seed to plant. We don't want them to destroy Fillory. How do we know? At this point, we don't know, right? It's risky. But unrelated to MVM, we also got a couple of emails. Some of these go back because this is covering two episodes. Crystal wrote in to gave us the correction for Garden Variety Homicide, where they were talking about the drink. And I'm sure Melly would agree. <laughs> Crystal says that her brain still tries to pronounce it in the French manner, le croix, instead of le croix, and that pomplamousse actually means grapefruit, mm -hmm. which makes sense, but I didn't think about that. Sarah is wondering if we think Plum is Fogg and Jane's daughter. Why else bring up that he has a daughter from a different timeline? So we had wondered at which chat when Plum is descended from, and Penny pretty much said once he found out she was a time traveler, it's got to be Jane, that's your ancestor, and thus Sarah's thinking Fogg could be the father, which blows my mind. I just don't know if we have time now, but we do still have Psycho Fogg in the picture and trying to get back to his timeline for his daughter, so... Maybe that's something they want to wrap up. Right, and he hasn't seen Plum, correct? Mm-hmm, I don't think so. So maybe next episode when they try to stop Dean Fogg, Plum's with them, and he sees her, and he's like, wait, oh, this world has my daughter too. Maybe I shouldn't destroy this world. Oh, I wonder if that would change it for him. It'd be nice if it did. Well, because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you continue doing what you're trying to, you're going to destroy this world which means you're killing your daughter anyways. And the other world is in worse shape. There's no magic. Correct. There's no break bills. There, you know, something's fucked up there. And in our version, Dean Fogg is caught in the ethereal realm. And not even caught. He's there because he wants to be there. Could this Dean stay and turn himself around? I don't know. I wouldn't trust him, but possible. That would be nice. Okay, on to our closer look. We have a couple of areas to talk about. The first is the underworld. In Greek mythology, this is the place where the souls go after death. It is described as being at the outer bounds of the ocean or beneath the depths of the earth. It is considered the dark counterpoint to the brightness of Mount Olympus. In front of the entrance to the underworld live, ready for this? And they all have Greek names, but I'm not going to try to pronounce them. So the equivalent of grief, anxiety, diseases, old age, fear, hunger, need, death, agony, and sleep. On the opposite threshold are war and discord. 
It's said that the souls of the dead still exist, but they are insubstantial and flitted around the underworld with no sense of purpose. They lacked strength and their lives were neutral. Their psyche was frozen at the moment of death. Whoa, that's dark. Yeah, and so, of course, they're trying to escape. Now, we had talked once before about the different areas of the underworld, and we even saw a little bit of that in The Magicians, how there was a place that was good, there were no labors, life was easy, that was Elysium. Even better than that were the Isles of the Blessed. So if you went to Elysium but chose to be reincarnated back into life as a human Mm. and achieved that three times, then you could go to the Isles of the Blessed, and that was a paradise. But you also had the Fields of Asphodel, which were bad, but there was no punishment or torture. You were just sort of wandering around lost and confused for the rest of time. And then you had the really bad parts where it was more like hell. Don't want to go there. I'm assuming those two areas are where these souls are trying to escape from. Now, we also got two references in the past couple of episodes to the Magician's Land book. The first one being about Ember and Umber's birth, where Fen has to recite the rest of the lines of the story. Yeah. There was more than that, though. In the book, it says, Once I let myself go all the way back to the beginning of Fillory. I won't tell you who this is talking. The beginning of everything, it was as far as you could go. You bumped up against it, like you'd reached the end of your string. The dawn of creation, just a big desert and a shallow, dead-looking sea. No weather, no wind, just cold. The sun didn't move and the light was unpleasant. I watched the sea for a long time. You wouldn't think a body of water that big could be so still. Finally, a big old tigress came loping down to the water. Her ears were notched, and she'd lost an eye. It had healed shut. She came down to the edge of the water and went trotting in. She seemed very brave to me. She kept going until she was totally submerged. And then, nothing. She had drowned herself. For a long time after that, nothing happened. Then, the water kind of gathered itself into a wave. And the wave threw up two big curly shells on the shore. They lay next to each other for a while, and then another wave came and left behind it a sheet of foam. The sand underneath kind of stirred and shook itself and sat up, and that was Ember. The foam was his wool, the shells were his horns. Ember went trotting down the beach until he found a few more curly shells. He nudged them around for a bit until they were close to each other, and then stood next to them so his shadow fell over them. And then his shadow stood up, and that was Ember. They nodded to each other and went trotting together up into the sky. (laughs) That's cool. So that was the beginning of the Ram Gods. And finally, they reference the magical heist in this episode. All of the details are flipped around. We talked a bit about this in a closer look before. But in the books, needing money, it's Quentin and Plum, because we know they were teamed up rather than Penny and Plum. They joined a gang of magicians thieves that were led by a talking bird. It was a little bit strange. The bird was intent on stealing a mysterious suitcase. They were interrupted during the heist by a competing group of thieves with translucent golden hands. A nod to the couple here, I don't know how we're remixing that. But anyhow, a battle and a chase ensued. The survivors disbanded. The suitcase contained an old book and a blade capable of killing a god. We talked about that because it was Osmodeus in the books who took the blade to kill Reynard. So again, another remix. But Quentin and Plum took the book. They found out it was written to tell Rupert's side of the story before he died in the Second World War. It was kind of like his memoir. 
And meanwhile, in Fillory, Elliot and Janet learned from Ember that the magical realm was dying. So they went to confront Umber just as an apocalypse started to begin, which is exactly where we find ourselves now in some other kind of story that shifts around those pieces. As the magicians always does, it leaves me with a vague idea of where it might be going, but it's all so different that I'm really not sure, and that keeps it exciting right up to the end. So last up, we have our spoiler section. If you are afraid of that, and it's really not much information, but still, we will see you next time in two weeks for our last regular episode review of 12 and 13. It'll be another double feature. I'm sure it'll be jam-packed. And then sometime after that, in the relatively near future, we'll have our series bonus episode. And possibly something special coming at you. Yeah, maybe in between there. We'll let you know how it's working out. And for those of you still here, (laughs) I took your lines. Do you want to just keep taking my lines today? (laughs) I mean, you got plenty of your own taglines. Of course, we get these synopses that tell us absolutely nothing. For episode 12, it says, Margot sees a purse she hates. Alice writes a letter we couldn't get prints. And we know it's a musical episode. I love the preview. It says, one last time with feeling. And then it shows the last musical episode ever. Very sad, but also very happy at the same time. I'm freaking out, man. Well, it's also clear that everyone is there. Yes. I mean, there's, there's an interaction with Marina and Zelda. We, we, who knows they, who else they might bring in that we didn't even see here? Well, we saw Sir Effingham dancing and singing, so he'll be around. <laughs> you had to know he was going to, right? That one is called The Balls. <laughs> I mean, I guess, because why not? And 13, the finale, is called Fillory and Further, and it says Christmas comes early. And that's it. That's all the info we got right now. And that wraps us up for this week of The Magicians. Patreon Clatchers, keep an eye out. Tomorrow we'll have a Coffee Break episode coming out for you, and hopefully we'll have an announcement of what movie we're going to watch because we had to switch it up. Mm-hmm. Although, whenever In the Heck of Quiet Place 2 is released, we will be covering it. Till next time. This round's on me. This round is on me. And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode 10, Burgatory. Burgatory. I'm hungry, I guess. Well, Christina, that only leaves reverie ratings. That's not... What the fuck? What's reverie? Westworld. Rating on 1 to 10 surges.